Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a great conversation this week with Harriet Boyer from Hitachi High-Tech Analytical Science. We talked about the precise instruments they produce to measure some really impressive stuff. Their products measure things like the levels of zinc in sun cream, uh, the amount of salts in food, and Hitachi's products are having a huge impact on reducing the sustainability issue that we have in the world as accuracy of measurements really reduces the distance that products have to travel around the world. We talk about how they market to a highly technical audience, how they think about regional variation and cultural variations of communication and challenges the manufacturing industry faces today. I hope you enjoy the conversation. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Harriet Boyer, Assistant Marketing Communications Manager at Hitachi High-Tech Analytical Science. She is part of the global marketing team focused on their established and newer product lines. Hitachi's products serve a diverse array of industries, including electronics, metal finishing, battery development, polymers, research and quality control, petrochem, mining and food. Harriet is also a triathlete competing in the GB age group team at Middle Distance Triathlon. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Harriet Boyer, welcome to Remet Manufacturing. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Well, let's get into it then. So you lead global marketing initiatives for a large range of analytical instruments like coatings, measurement, uh, thermal analysis, uh, elemental analysis. And that's not really what people think about initially when they think about the business of Hitachi, is it? No, I mean, Hitachi is made up of over 800 different companies. So we are involved in pretty much everything you could think of, um, from Hitachi Rail to diggers to consumer electronics to the analytical measuring devices that we work on. Um, there's other parts doing uh, electron microscopes, creating memory cards. Mm. Hitachi's involved in, in pretty much everything going on, which makes it a really interesting <laughs> business to work in. <laughs> it really does. But also from a marketing point of view, I imagine it, it presents some, some challenges, which we'll get into a little bit later. There are so many ways your measuring equipment can be used, really, of so many applications from packaging to uh, sun cream, uh, you know, measuring the salt content in food. Um, tell us about some of the exciting applications that your instruments help to measure. Yes, that's one of the things that I find particularly interesting about the instruments that we have is that huge range of things that we do. Um, as you say, from we measure 
zinc in mineral sun creams. And there's a whole load of applications we have related to food from using thermal analysis to measure the melting point of chocolate to checking for salt content in food and working in products uh, in projects such as biofortification of crops um, where we can use some of our analyzers to measure for the levels of iron and zinc in crops such as potatoes hmm. so I find it really inspiring the the good things that we can do with our products and um, as you said about the packaging we have a range of thermal analysis instruments um, which work to test what happens to material if it's heated or cooled and those are being used to look for plastic alternatives and ways that we can reduce the amount of plastic we use hmm. so um, we really can be on the leading edge of of what what we're trying to do in terms of the environment really interesting by the way if you give me any chocolate i can measure the temperature at which, at which it melts in my mouth so uh any chocolate that you want to send over to me i'd be more than happy to, right. to test that <laughs> surprisingly enough I think we've got a few volunteers in house for that as well (laughs) (laughs) so so you're quite passionate about sustainability as as you mentioned um a moment ago tell us how Hitachi projects are, are actually helping the world become a little bit more sustainable so the products we make can help the world become more sustainable in a variety of ways from the thermal analysis and elemental analysis products which are involved in finding plastic alternatives and finding ways to reuse plastic so we're not putting so much waste into the environment but also in terms of the the vast majority of our products are used for quality control Mm. and if you can deliver products that are of consistently high quality it means that you're having less waste Mm. you're not wasting the materials in making those products and you're creating products that are well made and will last for longer in turn you know reducing the need to keep buying and throwing things away Mm. so i i see that as a you know something really good that we do and hitachi's got great values around powering goods and innovation um which i i see as a really positive really big positive for an organization really interesting so so we mentioned at the top of the show that the measurement part of the business isn't what people automatically think of when they think of Hitachi. Your job is to communicate the technical product benefits to, to a really highly skilled uh, technical audience. Uh, a number of them have PhDs and advanced um, diplomas in very uh, complicated subjects that I, I don't know anything about. <laughs> but what what are some of the challenges of doing that, communicating your product offering, your service offering to a very highly technical, dispersed audience around the globe? I think this is a challenge that anybody in marketing sees, whatever their audience is. Probably perhaps more in B2B marketing, where you start in a company and then you have to learn about your audience. And for quite some time, your audience knows a lot more about what they want than you do. Um, So I think one of our challenges as um, marketing professionals is trying to understand these people understand how to communicate with them so as you say we've got these very technical highly intelligent um, scientists and engineers and then we have a whole range of people who are looking for different things we've got the operators who are looking for an instrument that's easy to use we've got the purchasing manager who wants to make sure that their 
purchase is going to be seen as a positive and have a good return on investment. We've got company owners who want to make sure that they are buying an instrument that their operators on the factory floor can use and will be happy using. So they'll have happy staff, but also to make sure that they can deliver the outputs and keep retaining their customers. Hmm. So it's a, a real mix of people. And what we try and do is make sure that we tailor what we're communicating to the audience. Uh, for example, those people who are buying our thermal analysis products tend to be scientists, um, very highly skilled people who are driven by a thirst for knowledge. And we have found with them that um, they prefer a long form content. They want a technical blog. They want all the answers. They want mm. webinars explaining exactly how something happens. So we need to make sure that we're tailoring it to their their interests and the, the level of interest they have in in the level of detail we're going to put in the content as well. Mm, really interesting. Obviously, in B2B, there's been a lot of conversation in recent years about sort of the importance of emotion or emotion versus rationality and and for a very long time people have thought that in b2b people are far more rational than they are emotional but we've kind of discovered through you know behavioral science and behavioral economics and uh daniel kahneman's thinking fast and slow that actually all human beings have an emotional side to them and, and they buy uh emotionally and irrationally as well as rationally sometimes how, how do you think about um sort of injecting emotion into your marketing, even though you're talking to a highly technical audience? I think as you say, something that's really important is remembering that even though these people are operating on behalf of a business, they're spending a business's money, they are still people. Um, So we have to make sure that we are appealing to their human side. Um, yes, we need to make sure that we're giving them the rational pointers that they can use and they can take to their managers and help with the with the purchasing decision. But also, when we first reach them, we want to try and tackle that emotional side. For example, with our recent thermal analysis campaign, um, the campaign centered around the idea of if you didn't test your plastics, what could happen? Hmm. And the image we had for that campaign was a washing machine where the front was melting, a bit was smoking. and everybody's got a washing machine at home and you can imagine if your washing machine stopped working today mm. it wouldn't be ideal you need a new one as soon as mm. possible so Definitely. with that campaign it's very yes yeah <laughs> for me it's all the sport <laughs> it's amazing how much uh, washing one person can generate right <laughs> but um so we, what we were trying to do with that is is bring that plastic back to if it fails what happens what's the knock-on effect so so trying to really appeal to that um, sort of universal mm. universal pain. need for things to work, <laughs> called the universal pain, exactly. So, Definitely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely love it. Now, a, a lot of your customers, I guess, are used to buying the same equipment from the same supplier year in, year out for many, many years. I, I would imagine there isn't really a huge amount of change. There isn't really a huge amount of sort of variation uh, where customers are sort of shopping around a huge amount, I, I would guess. With so much inertia in the market, how do you get your customers to really think about changing to Hitachi, trying Hitachi products, as opposed to their incumbent, who they may have been working with for quite some time? Yes, you are spot on. Um, people do tend to stick to what they know. 
and they also tend to have an instrument and they will have it for 10 years hmm. and they will do this analysis day in day out and after 10 years if it breaks they'll be a bit disappointed <laughs> so hmm. people when they make this decision it's a long purchase um so what we need to try and do is really inspire them that it is possible to make a change that you can change and there will be benefits for making the change, tangible benefits to your business, but also that the change is safe. Um, you're not taking a punt in the dark. Um, something we find is everybody knows the Hitachi name, but often people don't know that we work in certain sectors, such as thermal analysis. We've been in Japan doing TA since the 1970s, but these products are really starting to take on over in EMEA, anywhere outside of Japan in sort of the recent years. So what we try and do is really promote how our products can make a big difference to them, the real mm. benefits they're going to see from the products, and also the, the benefits of choosing Hitachi, such as our excellent service and knowing that you've got that brand of all its good values behind you when you're when you're buying your product. Good point. And just on that brand point, I mean many people wouldn't necessarily know that he Hitachi uh, produced the the measurement instruments that you produce today, but they still are aware of the Hitachi brand, the name, and there's a lot of still sort of the goodwill and value and equity built up in that name. I, I guess mm -hmm. that, that, that name allows you to maybe makes your job slightly easier in terms of maybe starting a conversation with a new prospect or indeed uh, talking about that that case for change it's definitely different to being as a startup with a name that nobody can pronounce because sure. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's helps. heard of Hitachi and sure. yeah it's, it's that strength of our background and our history plus the innovation um mm. not saying we're a, a company that's been around for 100 years that's it it's a company that's been around for 100 years and has innovation at its heart mm. and also I think with Hitachi with the breadth of things that we do we are known for being a big manufacturer, somebody in the industrial space. So it's a wide portfolio of products, but they all in some ways tie in together. Really interesting. Now, now some of your product lines have varying levels of, of market share in different regions. What's your approach to sort of increasing the market share of, of those products where the awareness or the market share is, is lower? This is something I see, especially with some of the product lines I deal with, um, because we have some very established product lines within the business. And then we have some products that are slightly newer to our branch of um, Hitachi, such as the thermal analysis products or the battery analysis products. And so what we do with those is that we are wanting to increase the awareness of these products, the fact that Hitachi does these. We are going out into the market, making sure that we fully understand what it is that people are looking for and talking to them about how we can meet those needs. Um, with our thermal analysis campaign I was talking about earlier with the washing machine, we had the messaging of seeing is believing, hmm. which was a sort of play on words because one of our features of our thermal analysis products is that they have a camera that allows you to see what's happening to your sample in real time. Hmm. So we've got that aspect of you can see what's going on so you can believe it. And also that when you see the product and you see how it works, you can, you know, you can believe that it's going to be the one that will, will make a difference to your business, will allow you to 
carry out better analysis and get the results you need and deliver good products to your customers. And and you're selling globally, I mean, you know, across um, Japan, EMEA and, and the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a huge challenge that you have with sort of communicating with people with various different cultural variations, uh, various different sort of communication norms. How do you think about selling to customers in different regions? And what do different customers in those different regions expect from communications from a supplier such as Hitachi? There certainly is a difference in what people are looking for on different sides of the globe. Um, In China, the sort of standard practice is for the salesperson to go and visit the customer. Hmm. And then what they want to do is they want to go through the brochure page by page and show the different features of the product. Hmm. Whereas over here in the West, um, so sort of more in the US, in EMEA, the sales process, I think, is a bit more personalized to the customer. For example, um, the salesperson will try and understand the customer needs, then they'll put a presentation together and explain exactly how um, one of our products could help them achieve their goals. Mm. So what that means for marketing is we're seeing quite different demands in what's wanted. So um, while the while the EMEA team wants to have, um, they'd rather have us focusing on doing a a more lightweight version of the brochure so that we could create some webinar content for them or different things like that. In China, they'd rather have a much longer and more detailed brochure, which has every single element of the instrument. Mm. Well, we see that as unnecessary. And gosh, you're giving people a lot to read with that brochure. Yeah, sure, <laughs> so it's, sure. it's, it's, it's really, it's quite, it's quite interesting. And yeah. I also think um, we're a lot more sort of benefit driven over here mm. rather than being feature driven. I want to be telling people this instrument will help you do this rather than this instrument has this feature right, and just stopping there because it's the why that's very important or so what, what mm. so what if it's got that feature? Why mm. does that help us? What, mm. what difference is that going to make to our business? What's in it for me? Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Really interesting. And, and how, how are you measuring the success of these campaigns internationally? I mean, what are some of the, main metrics that you're using to judge the success of what you're doing from a marketing point of view? Of course, um, as in any B2B marketing, a big measure of our success is leads, as how many leads we're getting in, what are we giving to the sales team, Mm. and what is the qualification rates to those leads? Mm. Because in some areas we have slightly less leads, but we have a higher qualification rate. So we're hitting the targets like that. Um, In other areas of the world, we have many leads, and a slightly lower qualification rate, but it's sort of slightly just the way marketing is a little bit different. Um, we also measure the sort of engagement with our online offering, our webinars, mm. our posts on social media, whether that's WeChat or LinkedIn or Facebook, depending on where you are in the world. Mm. And we sort of measure how those interactions work. And, and something else that's important for us is when we are Uh, working on a new campaign to highlight a new product range or a new product launch we try and get feedback in from around the world so when we are speaking to agencies we need messaging not messaging that's a clever funny pun in the UK Mm. but Mm. but messaging that's going to work when it's in Chinese or it's in German or it's translated by one of our European partners into Italian or Spanish Mm. or in Latin America's we need it to be 
to be working everywhere. So mm. trying to get that engagement ahead of time, either with our customers or with our sales teams and distributors around the world. Um, it's a really important part of what we do. Really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the manufacturing industry in a bit more detail. Um, as you look at the manufacturing industry today as a whole, what do you feel are some of the most pressing challenges the industry faces today? I feel like one of the biggest challenges the industry is facing is how it can reduce or improve its impact on the environment, mm. but do that while also maintaining jobs. Mm. So, I mean, we could improve the impact on the environment by making less and producing less, but how do we produce less and produce less waste then, but also while keeping supporting people and keeping people you know, keeping people working and people employed. So sure. I feel like that's a big challenge in the manufacturing industry and how it can look to improve its processes, um, to be, you know, producing less waste or having less miles that things are traveling. And I think um, over COVID, there has been a increase in maybe wanting to buy things that are made a bit more locally. Sure because of that move to be, I think, partly thinking about the environment, but also thinking about global supply chains, the, the issues there have been with factories in different places having to shut down as COVID moves around the world sure. and things like the Suez Canal, um, boat crisis. So I think that, I think that's the challenge. And, and how is the industry doing from a representation perspective, both gender and ethnic? I think... At Hitachi, at least, we have pretty good representation because it's an international company. We have people from around the world working in different positions and I think offering opportunities to people around the world. Um, our managing director is a woman, which is you know really good and really inspiring that the manufacturer of an analytical devices company sure. is, yeah, I think that's just said the manufacturer, it's really inspiring that the managing director of a manufacturing company is female. Um, and if I think about our offices and our teams around the world, there's quite a good gender balance across all departments, um, which is good. In terms of, yeah, there's people from different countries, mm. quite representative of the area we live in. Mm. I don't think I'm answering this question very well. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's Obviously, fine. we've got our international teams and they're, they're made up of all different people and the international aspect of the business is something that I really do enjoy so fantastic yeah. so uh, tell us how COVID has affected both the industry as a whole and Hitachi's business specifically I think that COVID is something that has had a heavy impact on manufacturing it's obviously a disease that's spread by human interaction and human transitions. And you can't work from home if you're working in a factory, mm. unless you have a very large home and a big workbench <laughs> and a few <laughs> industrial instruments, perhaps. Right. <laughs> um, so obviously it's, it's been impacted by COVID. Um, I think one of the impacts we're seeing from that is supply chain. Sure. Because um, some parts aren't available as much as they were before. But in some ways, that's also a benefit to our business. Um, because of a lot of what we do is about quality control. So if you are going to a new supplier, you need to make sure that the, what they're supplying is of high enough standard. And for that, you need you need a, a device to measure that. Um, as a very international business, 
we have it, it's been an interesting time. We did a product launch last February, no, February 2020. Yes, last February, just mm-hmm. before the it was just after Chinese New Year. And it was just as COVID was starting to hit China. So we had sure. pushed the Chinese uh, Chinese launch back so we could make sure we weren't coinciding with the New Year celebrations. And it wasn't a great time to be launching a product, really, because because that was when COVID hit. Sure. Um, so we saw COVID as something that our Chinese colleagues were experiencing. And then it suddenly started hitting Europe and the US and everywhere else in the world. And by the time we were going through, um, you know, the sort of peak of COVID or one of the many peaks of COVID over here, um, (laughs) China was starting to to recover. So China are back. They're having events. Uh, The factory, we've got a brand new factory that's up and running. So we're sort of following along in what China's doing at the moment. Um, And I think as an international business, it's, it's good that we are so diversified because it means that we've got different parts of the world sort of turning on and off depending yeah. on what happens with local lockdowns definitely and also um one of our big markets is electronics and this is a time when everybody needs electronics that's how you that's the only way you can have some human interaction <laughs> some days <laughs> when we're all stuck yeah. down in lockdown um so the the demand for for electronics has been is is good um for us and it's good for our customers who are creating electronics parts Mm. and also something while we when we first went into the sort of covid situation i think there was quite a bit of hesitancy our business is going to buy new instruments but at the end of the day these are instruments that they need to have rather than instruments that would be nice to have so if you need to buy something for your business you're going to have to buy it so that that has helped us and of course we've all adapted to moving online um, from the point of view of marketing, we've been running lots of webinars. We did a TA webinar program last year. And by the end of the year, we had six times the number of GDPR opted in contacts as we did at the start of the year hmm. because people were online and they had time to be a little bit more time. I don't think I don't think everyone's had lots of time on their hands. I don't feel <laughs> like I have, <laughs> but a bit more time to be engaging online and, and learning and, and seeing this as an opportunity to progress. Yeah, right. Squeezed <laughs> into a smaller period of time. Well, definitely. yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lot of change there. What? Yeah. Just finally, what's your view on going back to the office? Hybrid models, everyone going back full time, or everyone working from home? What? What's the view at Hitachi? At the moment the view at Hitachi is I think still being worked on um I think the view of a lot of us working for Hitachi as a hybrid model is definitely the way forwards personally I can't think how we can justify your getting back in the car mm. and queuing up and causing all that pollution every single morning when we right. managed to do a lot online and um, I think I'd see the ideal as a couple of days a week in the office and so you get that bit of interaction or or meeting with people um but i think the vast majority of what we do can be done online especially when you're working with with an international team if you need an 8am or a a. 7am call with somebody over in apac but then you also need to be on at the other end of the day to speak to americas doing that from home makes it a bit easier agreed so it just leads me to say we, we end the show in the same way every single week, Harriet, by asking our guests to tell us the one invention 
that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable? I had, I've been having a think about this. I did hear somebody say printing press recently, which I thought was an excellent <laughs> idea because I do one. love reading. That's a great one. Right. Also consider the phone because I do love talking. But for <laughs> me, I think it's got to be the bicycle. Um, I love oh, cycling. Okay. Um, I do try and do a big cycle tour at least once a year. I spend a lot of my time outside of work and at the weekends on my bike. I think it's such a wonderful way to get around and enjoy seeing the world. So for me, it's got to be the bicycle because it fills me with so much joy. <laughs> Apart from when I get a puncture. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, damn it. (laughs) Right. Really love it. Thank you very much for sharing your your views with us today, Harriet. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, It's been a real pleasure. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Music. Thank you for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nathan Anibaba. See you next time. 